This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. Quick updates. We're in the middle of the fourth quarter of open enrollment season for both employers and the broker insurance agency community. Right now, it's the first part of December of 2021 for the 2022 open enrollment. So there's a lot going on. We are at capacity. We expanded staff and we're still busy. In some ways, we're a little bit behind. I, I If anybody's listening to this that have place calls um, to our office. Uh, We will get back to you as soon as we possibly can. It's definitely an overdrive at this point, and most insurance agencies are. And so we're trying to hit some deadlines for the Medicare world. If you're in that, we service a lot of Medicare world because of the employer accounts where people are aging and still working or they're aging and retiring. And so those deadlines for open enrollment uh, or that deadline is December 7th, which is only five days from this recording. December 15th is for the under 65 or on exchange market. The Obamacare plans has a deadline of December 15th. And then small groups and have a hard deadline of December 15th for paperwork for new business. If they're trying to comply with the no contribution by the employer and no minimum requirements uh, for participation. And so it's called a special enrollment for small employers that are 49 employees and under. So we have a hard deadline of that. And then, of course, we have a hard deadline for the open enrollments to get them done so that employees can get their insurance cards uh, on or around the 1st of January. Uh, but the renewal should be in, in the hands and being reviewed at this moment in time. Uh, we have a lot of open enrollments going underway right now. Employees electing plans, responding with questions, concerns, or problems. And then also we have other ones that are being scheduled. Some of our larger groups are already done or about to be scheduled and completed here shortly. The plans have already been selected and we're ready to go. A good tool to help make this efficient, if you haven't done it already, is moving to a technology tool instead of doing old PDFs. Uh, collecting all the paperwork and send them to the office manager, owner, or HR is is very cumbersome and will actually have problems in the future, as we every year you do. We resolve a lot of those in January, but we, certainly to help reduce some of that um, using technology. But if you haven't already, make sure you get on the calendars for the schedule to open enrollment for your employees. You don't have to announce it completely to the employees just yet at the beginning of December, but certainly start making plans for it so you can work around the holidays. There's holiday schedules, and of course, you have the holidays themselves. Certainly, and then communicate and engage the employees as you're trying to move through the open enrollment. We talked about HSAs and traditional plans, the PPOs and HMOs in the past, I I figured during the open enrollment, we could run through it again um, because there's a lot of questions that pop up with changes in people's families, lifestyles or standard livings, uh, or maybe there's changes in their own personal life as well as employee settings. And maybe the employer contributions are different. So I just want to run through and maybe you're considering some other options. And so I'm going to walk through the, you know, what an HSA health savings account plan is versus the traditional plans that people are used to.
So the first one I'm gonna go through is the health saving accounts. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, it was original design was to reduce the premiums and have you self-insure um, towards your deductible. And so what does that mean? In a traditional plan, you would have a copay uh, at the doctor, you and services would be rendered prescription drugs, you pay a copay, and this was the way of life in America. And then back in 2003, they passed the regulations so that uh, you could do a health savings account. It was, it was actually called Archer Medical Savings Account, I believe is what it was called, uh, because it was Senator Archer, I believe was the guy's name, that came up with the idea and implemented it, and it was passed. And so allowed employ, uh, employees of a company and then also individual plans to have a certain structure on a health plan, and it has to be a qualifying health savings account, and then lower the premium because you're self-insuring for the deductible, just as we do for our auto insurance and our homeowner's insurance. And then the premium savings, the idea was to take that additional money and put it into a qualified savings account that is somewhat linked up to the health plan or independent, but it's qualified as a health savings account. And you get a tax deduction for the deposits up to a certain dollar amount. There are limits that um, every year that increase, but there's still limits for single family. And then if you're over the age of, I think it's 50 or 55, but you could put money into an account and you get tax breaks and then you could use the money in the account tax-free to use for medical expenses at any point in time in the future. And so this is good because even if you fund it this year and you don't have any claims or any major claims, rolls over the next year and the next year and the next year and you could start accumulating this money getting a tax break by putting the money in as long as the money comes out for medical expenses or medical qualified expenses and there's a whole list of things that you could use them for and there's even not some non-medical stuff that you could use it for like now i believe you could uh, they went back to even first aid kits in some cases aspirin and so there's other things that you could use it for outside of just paying for doctor visits and prescription drugs. But you could use it at point, any point in time in the future, even in retirement. You just can't fund it in retirement at this moment in time. But the Trump administration did uh, submit a bill that's sitting in the House or the Senate right now and has been since the Trump administration that you're allowed to contribute as long as you have a another spouse on an HSA qualified plan. And so there's some rules around that and you could check with a tax advisor or your insurance broker on that. But the purpose is to control cost of goods going towards your deductible. You, you self-insure. So you have more choices on what you could do because it's your money. And so it will reduce claims. So you start second guessing, hey, you know, instead of going to the doctor's office and paying a $30 copay, you could second uh, guess yourself because instead of paying a $30 copay, now you're paying the entire visit, which could be 125 bucks. You might say, is it worth 125 bucks to go? Is this something I could do at home? And so it makes you second guess some of the things that you were doing in the past. It does cause hesitancy or uh, you reduce the amount of visits when you need medical assistance anyways. And so that could pose as a problem because you're afraid to pay the bill. To take that fear away, there's a lot of ways you could get around that and you could negotiate or work with a healthcare provider but you have to be up front you can't be sneaky and waiting until you go to collections to do it you could tell them up front you can't afford it the workout payment arrangements the longest i've ever heard of payment arrangements for procedures was 16 years and so there's ways to make it more affordable and interest-free in a lot of cases and then you have other medical 
uh, credit cards out there called uh, like care credit that you could do interest refinancing or a low interest rate um, to help pay for it. So you could eliminate the risk of having to worry about meeting the large deductible, especially a growing family when they're already strapped for because groceries are going through the roof. They got a house and mortgage to pay for and all the kids activities to keep them busy and out of trouble. It's hard to pay for things out of pocket. Um, and so that fear of going, but you can minimize it through one, funding the HSA account so you have funds available. And the second thing is tell them in advance that you can't afford it or you're having a hard time affording it and you want to work things around. Uh, bigger practices are a lot more flexible. Smaller practices are not. So you just have to ask the questions and be a little bit more involved instead of ghosting the claim. I call it ghost in the claim because people just present this insurance card like it's an open-ended credit card. You're only responsible for a certain portion of it, and the insurance company gets the balance. On an HSA, it's a little bit different because you're self-insuring the first 3000 or 5000 in some cases higher. So uh, it could be a little bit of a financial worry, and so there's a lot of things you could do. But even if you have the money, you can negotiate better discounts. So if you get a bill, you could call them up and say, if I pay this bill right now, how much is this going to cost? If What a discount? Some will give 10 to 20% off. Um, the insurance company gives you a credit towards your deductible for the original amount, and you're saving money by making a prompt payment. So there are other ways to have more control of the expenses, in addition to funding the HSA account for the future medical expenses. This is key because you put money in there um, and you get a tax deduction. So if you put $1,000 in and you made $100,000 a year, the IRS looks at your income as if you made $99,000. And so you save that taxable income by putting that into the HSA account. So it's definitely a, a key component to tax planning as well as future medical expenses. You could reimburse yourself at any point in time in the future too. So we have some clients that go pay these medical expenses. They save the receipts until they accumulate to a big enough amount that they feel it is worthwhile. Then they reimburse themselves and it's tax-free, that reimbursement. So you could actually take that out and put it somewhere else since it's a claim that you would have normally would have paid anyways. It just depends on what your personality is and how you want to handle the account. Um, just different ways to do it. We have some clients that open up the account and they only deposit the money for the amount of the claim. So if you have several claims throughout the year and they only put that money in that's needed and required to pay that bill, at least you get a tax deduction for the money you're spending. You can only get a tax deduction for the out-of-pocket and premium expenses once it exceeds 10% of your income. And that's a traditional method on a tax return. This is above and beyond that for first dollar. There are limitations to it on caps on how much you can put in the account for those deductions. And But it is the, some, it's definitely a tool to get ahead. The premium decreases aren't as much as they used to, but it's definitely a strategy to have a little bit more control of the healthcare expenses. And then at some point, if you're not using it for medical expenses, it does operate like an IRA. So eventually you will have to pay income tax on that if you're not using it for medical expenses. But a lot of others will just use it for financing healthcare when they're retired or if they get diagnosed with something that's a little more rare and they want additional help or second opinions that may not may or may not be covered by insurance. So if it's experimental or if um, it's some other route or they're out of network or whatever the case, you could still use it as long as it's a medical expense. Comparing this to the traditional uh, methods of HMO and PPO, um, HMO, um, because there's a lot of confusion. People don't know what they buy. It's amazing how, how many people have an insurance card in their wallet and they don't know how the insurance works. And then they get confused and there's information crossed because somebody else told them something different. And I love the story where 
I heard HMOs are bad. And so, well, depends on what your experiences are and what is it today? Because I always said there's an old HMO and a new HMO. The old HMO is the old horror stories that people talk about where you can only go to one physician group. There's a stipend paid to the physician group and they have to see all the patients under that roof, under that stipend the insurance company gives. And so the more patients they see and more procedures they do, the less money they make. So that's the old school way. The new HMOs are a little bit different where it, the payments to the provider are more like a, a PPO where the claims get processed and they get paid accordingly based on that claim instead of a, stif- a monthly stipend for the whole practice. Um, and so the only thing is the HMO has more boundaries than a PPO in some ways because you're identifying a physician group. And then you have to get a referral from the primary care physician. So the what we've been finding out, a lot of people go to the primary care for everything anyways. And so a lot of people are, are flexible now with the HMO because they don't feel the pinch that you can't get a testing in a certain amount of time because they don't have the funds available to pay for the test because of the stipend because they just get paid based on each procedure anyways now. So it's a little bit different um, and, and, and definitely keep an open mind to it because I'm going to get into it. These are all tools and that's all it is. HMOs are the best bang for the buck. Um, so when you look at premium dollars and what you're spending and what you get back in return, as long as you get through the referral process, which is not terrible, uh, it's actually a pretty good, efficient process for the most part. If you can figure out how an HMO work, but if you go in with the mindset of working like a PPO, it's not going to work. It's going to be horrible. And so you got to be a little bit more open-minded to get used to it. Once you get used to it, it's fine. And then you could actually get more bang for the buck. You can, on some cases, like small groups, you can get the lowest out-of-pocket or one of the lowest out-of-pocket plans on an HMO versus the PPO, and they're more affordable. And so certainly an option to go through and, and consider. Versus the PPO, the traditional mindset of a PPO is you go anywhere you want. Well, that's not true. Uh, because PPOs were always restricted in some degree. There is a capacity or a limit or boundary for a PPO. It's just most people have never experienced it until the Affordable Care Act. Uh, What did the Affordable Care Act uh, do is they renegotiate some of the contracts based on the new plans, but basically it gravitated everybody to the small PPO network based on a pricing model. And so in some ways, the insurance companies up the price so much, they eliminate the big PPO. Some States don't even have a PPO when you buy it privately, but on a small groups and large groups, they still do. But again, there was stories going on leading into the Affordable Care Act era. So from 2010 to 2014, that these are government plans and these providers are saying they actually, some actually put a sign, if you buy an Affordable Care Act plan, we can't see you. And there was lawsuits against that. It's based on contracts. It's all it is. And so for traditionally for years, insurance companies had two or three or four PPO networks. You just never knew that until the Affordable Care Act came in. Providers have a choice of which networks they're part of because it's a contract. It's a, a negotiation based on reimbursement of money. And so there are finger pointing between providers and insurance companies when it comes to this. It gets kind of hairy and can be uh, controversial. But in a nutshell, providers could choose not to be in a certain network. So therefore, The health plans, like in the state of Illinois, the one that offers the PPO plan, eliminate the big PPO and move to the small PPO network. So there's this perception that it was an Affordable Care Act plan that you can't go to your doctor, and that wasn't true. It's just your doctor chose not to be part of that that smaller network. Now, since the Affordable Care Act, 
some of the providers reconsider their contracts. So there's a big hospital system out in the state of Illinois that was part of the small PPO network prior to the Affordable Care Act um, in 2000, uh, leading into 2014, but they decided not to after the fact. And so those are just some concerns. It's all about networks. Um, there's nothing special about the Affordable Care Act plans versus non-Affordable Care Act plans. They're, it's just contracted networks. And so it can be confusing. Uh, you need to invest time so you can have a better understanding. You don't need referrals on a PPO plan, so you can actually go anywhere you want. There's out-of-network coverage on a PPO versus the HMO, and that's an advantage to some people. But again, you still have to stay inside the network to get better pricing. And so you're going to have more out-of-pocket when you're out-of-network. In some cases, the out-of-network um, on certain plans, or actually a lot of the plans, if you go out-of-network on a PPO, you still pay 50% of the entire bill. There's no cap. And so they're doing that to create a financial incentive to stay in network because too many people were going out-of-network knowing that there was a cap so they could still get access to key hospitals they wanted to go to. People game the system and the insurance companies adapt, and so that's just one way they did it. If you own a business, Elite Benefits of America wants to remind you that health insurance open enrollments are either happening now or coming very quickly. And this is the time to review and implement a health care plan to make or keep you as the employer of choice. Deadlines for open enrollment range between November 1st and January 1st. Get ahead of the curve. The Small Business Special Enrollment Period, part of the Affordable Care Act, now allows employers with 49 employees and under to offer health benefits without contributing a dime to the employee plan. Help your employees save money on taxes with health insurance they're already paying for with their hard-earned dollars. Butch Zemar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit EliteBenefits.net or call 708-535-3006. PPOs do generally give you more freedom, but not always. So like, for example, if you're dependent on where you're at in the state of Illinois, you might not be able to go to your local hospital that's two minutes from your door, even if you walked. You can't go there. They're, they chose not to be part of the PPO network that's available to you. Whereas you might have to go down the street or in the next town or a neighboring town or whatever it might be, um, so you just have to be aware of what's going on. The Affordable Care Act plans, though, if it's a life-threatening emergency, everywhere is in network. And so even that uh, example of being two minutes from the doorstep of another hospital uh, that's not part of the network, if you had a heart attack or you broke your leg, I mean, it's got to be a life-threatening emergency that's the medical professionals deemed it as emergency and it's billed as an emergency, There, and then the billing will be in network. The reality is that the insurance companies already have relationships with all the hospitals in the country, so it wouldn't be, it's not hard for them to do that. They just didn't charge you enough premium to, to keep it consistently in network. And it's all politics and business at that point. But that's why a lot of people, uh, individuals, are looking at small groups in, uh, for their companies. Maybe they're creating a company so they can get access to small groups so you could buy up to the big PPO network if needed because the individual and a lot of small group plans don't have the large PPO network. And that could be why some employees are sitting there saying, well, I can't go use my doctor. I'm working for a small employer. It could be the portfolio that they're offering you doesn't have the large PPO network. So you should ask for it and see if they could do it during the open enrollment period if possible. It may not be an option for you, but but it's going to be additional funds. You're going to pay more out of pocket. 
and some small businesses, they don't pay a whole lot in wages compared to other bigger companies, it could wipe out your own paycheck in some ways by doing the upgrades. So you just have to be careful and do a cost analysis. The reality is what is best, right? And I, I get that question a lot. What is the best plan I could choose? Well, uh, the situation's the boss. It really comes down to a cost analysis, not a benefits analysis. There, you're not losing benefits one way or the other. Some people have a, have a perception if they move to an HSA plan, they're losing benefits. They're not losing benefits. It's reallocated in a different way. It's a tool. It's like trying to pull a nail out with a screwdriver. Can it be done? Sure. Or even a pair of pliers. Is it the right tool for the job? No. But maybe if you're working too hard, like you're, you're using it like a hammer, but it's a, a screwdriver, it's, it's still not going to work the same way. So it's, it's just a cost analysis and you just may have to retrain your thinking on how the policy works in order to make it work for your favor because all, they all work. There's a reason why they're offering the products so that you could use it. You just have to figure out how to use the system in order to make it work. Once you figure that out, everything works out fine. But again, it's a cost analysis, not a benefits analysis. And so... Um, Again, you're not losing benefits by there's no uh, there's trade-offs on on depending on how much skin you want in the game one way or the other. There's no free lunch, so you either pay for it in premium, or you pay for it in out-of-pocket expenses. So it's just the balance of the two to make sure that it's a right fit for you. Again, HMOs are best bang for the buck uh, for value of what you're paying for. Um, uh, HSAs are a great option because of tax savings and you have more control of the costs. Some people can't stomach that. If you ask my wife, she would prefer just to pay the $20 copay. She doesn't pay the bill anyways, but um, it's a perception that people have, whereas I would prefer to have more control of the costs. I'd rather call the provider and challenge them on the bill if there's a problem. Uh, I'd ra rather me take that control because then I'm saving money in the, in the long run. PPOs give more freedom, more, uh, but there's a cost to that. But again, all these are tools, and it just depends on what tool you need to take care of your healthcare expenses throughout the year. So if you need any more clarification on that, obviously call, call our office. A couple more um, just tidbits. We talk about this on other podcasts, but some people will say, well, I like the co-pays. I can't. I'm, I'm just married to it. I just want to go to the doctor and pay $20, $30, $40 and be done. But how do I take advantage of tax, um, tax advantages? for out-of-pocket expenses. In a traditional way that people would have a traditional health plan with co-pays, they can only deduct the out-of-pocket expenses once it exceeds 10% of your income. Now again, I'm just gonna put a disclaimer, I am not a tax advisor. This is just common rule or common knowledge, so seek tax advice for your own situation. But so, because you have to wait until 10% of your income in order to deduct anything, the employer can implement what's called a flexible spending account or FSA. Flexible spending account doesn't care if it's H uh, or if it's HSA or not, but it allows the employer and or the employee to contribute dollars. A lot of smaller groups they're contributing their own money. The employees are contributing their own money, not the employer. The employer is just offering the benefit, and then um, if the company's big enough or financially stable enough, they'll contribute some dollars as a benefit. The Employees will get a debit card, so it works similar to an HSA or health savings account. You get a debit card, you get a balance. You actually could use the funds from day one, depending on the contribution amount that you choose. You can max it out, and it's roughly $2,500 a year. Or you could say, I'm only going to put $100 a month in there, and then that's $1,200 a year. So you'll have access to $1,200 from day one. There's some risk involved for the employer, but there's evaluations that go through that. But you could put money into the account like an HSA. 
There is small rollover. It's roughly 500 bucks. Um, so you have to uh, use it or lose it essentially, um, except for the rollover. But it allows you to take and get a tax deduction, putting money into the account. And then the money coming out, you don't pay taxes on as long as and it's and you can only use the card for medical expenses. That's it. And so if you're on a traditional plan like an HMO or PPO that's non HSA qualified, you could use it for everything. Dental, vision, medical prescriptions, whatever it is. If you have an HSA, this is uh, healthcare on steroids. If you have the funds to do it, uh, if you have an HSA plan, you could still do an FSA, but it's a limited FSA because you have an HSA and you're putting money into an account for medical expenses, the FSA, you're limited to dental and vision benefits only. And so if you have a family and you know you're going to go through these expenses, you could fund the FSA for the additional tax break and then conserve the dollars in your HSA account. Uh, and if you're, if you're a higher wage earner and you can afford this, you could actually fully maximize the HSA and the FSA and just use the FSA for dental and vision if that's most of your expenses. It depends. Like like in my family, that it works out great. I could actually get to maximize the tax advantages for the HSA and still put funds into the FSA. And most of the bigger expenses, at least at knock on wood, right now is dental and vision claims. And so Sure, there's dental insurance, but there's still out-of-pocket expenses and whatnot if there's cavities, whatever, they eat too much candy at Halloween. And so there's there's different ways you can leverage the, the tax advantages here and still minimize your impact on the HSA so you can conserve those dollars. Um, so these are all t- tools. We just have to leverage the right one. Uh, the tools mean nothing if we're not able to leverage it. So there's just a lot of working faucets here that could make uh, the health plan great or or make it horrible for the, that matter. It's just a matter of doing putting it together correctly and then knowing how to use the plans and taking advantage of what's there. Another side note, so there's employers right now that are having a hard time getting employees for many different reasons. Um, some could be controversial. Some could just be the workplace and the the growth pattern of the industry. But one of the big, big missing components is, to the job recruiting is to employee benefits. Recently, there was an employer that made a comment to me that they can't get the jobs to grow because they don't, they can't staff the employees to manage the work. But their benefit package isn't hot at all. I mean, they, they have two options. They're contributing a low amount. They're not doing a really great job that they can, that their competitors may be doing better. So you're going to have an issue recruiting and retaining people over time if you're just not investing enough time. And I'm not saying that you have to pay for your health care or the health care for all the employees. I'm just saying you have to be a little bit more strategic to be competitive when, when P, employer, uh, employees are shopping work. And essentially that's what they're doing. They're trying to see which one's going to give them the best value for their uh, personal life. They're contributing a lot of time with you. They want to make sure the reward's there. So yeah, it's one piece at a time. You don't have to tackle the whole thing, but definitely look at your benefits package because that could be a major contributor to your recruiting and retention efforts. And you may not even know it. And so if you need help with this, obviously call our office, but more to come uh, as we move into the new year. Thanks for listening to the show.